If you want to turn in your Bibles today to Matthew 5, verse 10, is where we're going to start. And as most of you know, before I came here, I was an associate pastor at a medium-sized church, medium-sized church being two to 300 people showing up on a given Sunday, uh, called Prayer House in Kenosha, before I got to move up here into God's country and meet all of you awesome people. And one of Prayer House's ministry outreaches was that we recorded each of our services on videotape. And we would show that videotape along with some of the various ministries on the local cable, as happens here if you have local cable in Whitehall or through uh, Tri-County Communications. You get to see various churches have um, their church services during that week. And once a month, our senior pastor would go and preach at other churches. So one of us associates got to preach, and we got to be on TV for that week. And depending on who it was, how much they were liked in the community, and how hard of a message they preached, we would invariably get some hate mail out of it. We would have people, we had a, a public email address called info at prayerhouseag.org, still exists, and we would get all kinds of nasty emails on that, that somebody who was watching local cable uh, didn't like the message that we got to um, preach that week. And as a webmaster, I got to read every single one of them. Occasionally, they even came in through postal mail. And some of it was pretty vile. Some of it was pretty profane. Some of it was, you questioned if they even understood the English language with the grammar they used. And just some of it was just people just being just dumb. I mean, occasionally, you'd even get some threats. I mean, I remember one time somebody threatened to blow up my house. Or beat, and another pastor threatened that we're going to find your kids and beat them up and, and do just un, unthinkable things to our families. And we even had a person once give us a gift. We came in one Sunday getting ready for church on Wednesday night, and we found the back door of the church was covered and smeared. It wasn't just thrown at the building. It was hand-smeared dog feces all over the back door of the church. Somebody gave us a gift. Guess who got to clean that up? The paramedic. Hey, that stuff doesn't gross you out, right? Yeah, it kind of does. But um, And all this, though, it's fairly mild, considering what many other Christians throughout the world have to face for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of a story that there was this pastor once who was trying his hardest in a small community to get his church to grow and to win people to Jesus. And for years and years he tried. He had his his nose to the grindstone, his hand on the plow, and he kept trying to, to tell people about Jesus and win people and try to, to get them to attend church. But at every turn, he was criticized, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, and even spat on by some of the people in the community he was trying to serve. And, and he was so overwhelmed that he just finally had enough, and he left his family at home one night, and he walked to the church to pray. And he knelt down at the altar, and he wept, and he cried out to God about all the hardship that he had to face and all the, the persecution that, that he had to endure, and that none of this was yielding any fruit and, and no matter what he did, no matter how hard he tried, it just seemed to be getting worse and worse and worse. And he presented this case to God, and he was expecting God to eventually agree with him and give him, him permission to move on and find greener pastors at another church. And when he finally finished pouring his heart out to God, he heard the still small voice of the Father say this, Congratulations, my son. You are blessed. 
Normally, the fifth Sunday of the month is devoted to a prayer service or one of our solemn assemblies. But given that we accepted new members into our fellowship today, I felt the Lord leading me not only to accept them into the family of Cooley Community Church, but to give them and all of us a charge and a mandate to live by. So today we're going to finish our series of the beautiful attitudes of Jesus about, and about talking about the blessing that nobody wants. And we're going to be in Matthew 5, verse 10. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take this very difficult subject of persecution and put it in its proper perspective for us today. That it is not necessarily something to be avoided, but something we understand will bring us into the ultimate blessing that you have for each one of our lives. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take this time and use it to change our hearts, change our minds, and change our spirits in such a way that we will endure whatever it takes to see people come to Jesus Christ. And I ask this in your name. Amen. So the first thing I want to do is dissect this beatitude a little bit to get us thinking about its significance by looking at several points about it. Number one, it's the last beatitude. It's the last one that Jesus speaks. And you can hear about the other ones if you listen to the, the podcast. But the first several Beatitudes deal with the order of salvation, the humbling of oneself before Jesus, accepting that we are powerless to save ourselves and that we have to come to him for this free gift of salvation. They then move on to, to deal with the redeemed nature, that nature that Christ gives us when we are born again. We then move into the actions of the redeemed person, to be pure in heart, to bring peace, to be peacemakers, to bring people and God together and come into the saving knowledge of Jesus. And all this culminates into the reality that we're going to talk about today, which is persecution. Number two, you note that this is the longest beatitude. And that in itself merits our attention this morning because I don't think the Holy Spirit just needed to fill up a column page in the Bible and add some extra words. I believe every word in the Bible is there for a very specific reason. And therefore, when it goes into depth about a subject, it's worth our time and it's worth our effort to really dig in and study it. Number three, it's the only beatitude with a command. Rejoice. And that seems the exact opposite of how we should treat persecution, doesn't it? Or anything that causes us pain or discomfort. Why did Jesus tell us to rejoice? Why do we rejoice? Because God is worthy of our worship. Amen. Why do we rejoice? Because a servant is not greater than his or her master. They persecuted Jesus. They persecuted the Son of God himself. Why should we be any different for those who, or why should it be any different for those who follow after him? Why rejoice? Because God counts us worthy to endure for his great name. And that is an honor. That is an honor. We'll get in a little bit more about that later. 
Number four, it's the only beatitude with an explanation. Jesus goes into depth about this one beatitude. And Jesus understands this persecution will cause us and our humanity to immediately want to withdraw from following him. When it starts going, get, when the going gets tough, we want to get going, right? We want to, we want to get away from, from the tough times. Psychology even teaches us that most of the reasons we do what we do in life is the avoidance of pain. Whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual, we want to run away from pain. It's just part of who we are as human beings. And because this, this, we have this characteristic of, of human nature, we avoid standing for that which is right because it brings with us the pain of social rejection. And that's why Jesus spends more time with this beatitude than he does with any other one. Number five, it's the only beatitude repeated by Jesus. Jesus says it twice. And anytime the Bible repeats itself, it's worth underlining and praying through until God makes that scripture absolutely clear in your mind, your spirit, and in your life to where you are living it and understanding it and even able to explain it to others. Number six, it's the only beatitude directly addressed to the person reading. You see, Jesus turned turns personal when he speaks about persecution because persecution tests us at our deepest level. You see, all the other Beatitudes are statements of fact and statements of instruction to the crowd. But Jesus switches it up here and he talks specifically to you and me as individuals. He talks to people who want to follow these beautiful attitudes and take up their cross and follow him. And these are just six points that jumped out at me as I was studying for this message today. Let's look at the types of persecution that Jesus specifically talks about. And the first thing, let me talk about what persecution is and what it is not. We'll start with what it is not. Throughout my walk with Christ, I've witnessed many people try to win other people to Jesus Christ. I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, and I've seen very ugly ways to try to win people to Jesus. Now, when people use the bad and the ugly with a person or a people who are fallen human beings, the result is very dramatic, usually, and very confrontational in ways that does not show the unbeliever the love of Jesus. Some of these people witness in ways it's like throwing cold water into hot grease. Pretty dramatic Something pretty dramatic happens when you do that, right? There's an explosion and a big mess. I saw this one day when I was in ninth grade at Washington Junior High in Kenosha. I went to school one day and there was a group of people, probably 10 of them, on the sidewalk holding signs, thrusting them in the face of the students as they walked in and screaming at us that we're all going to hell. And... Obviously, when you do that to a bunch of kids in a big crowd, Washington probably had five, six hundred students in it. So they're just yelling at five, six hundred students in a relatively inner city school that they're all going to hell and that God hates them and, and all kinds of stuff and they need to come to repentance. Needless to say that that probably wasn't the most effective tactics. And many of my friends were in shouting matches with these people. And a few of them shoved off on the people. They were almost physically, they were getting physically violent. These people kept getting in their face and screaming and, and throwing their signs in there. And I remember one of them 
yelling at us these verses we're studying today that they're blessed because they're being persecuted by us and 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 being insulted by us and almost phys- and and being shoved and everything else and I thought you know you're not being persecuted for spreading the gospel you're being persecuted because you're being a jerk And I say this because Jesus is very specific in his choice of words here. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. And the persecution Jesus is speaking of here, when you are showing all these, is when you get persecuted for showing all these other beautiful attitudes that we have discussed over the last several weeks and you're still receiving evil for it, that is when you get to be blessed. If you're going to claim the blessing that persecution brings, first you must be poor in spirit. You must understand that you needed Jesus even more than the people that or person that you are speaking to at the moment that you're feeling persecuted. You must mourn over the condition of your own soul and the condition of other people's souls. You must be meek and humble in your dealings with others. You must hunger and thirst for your own personal righteousness before trying to form it in others. You must show mercy to those who still don't know Jesus in all of his fullness and all of his glory and be willing to be patient with them as they grow in their walk with the Lord. You must be pure in heart so you can help others see God. And then and only then can you be the peacemaker Jesus has called you to be. And when you have done all that, if you are still being persecuted, that's when Jesus is saying you are being persecuted for righteousness sake. And that is a special kind of rejoicing and a special fellowship with God our Father that you earn the right to experience. That's why the jail shook when Paul was locked up in jail and he was worshiping God. He was worshiping God because he was being persecuted because his heart was right before God and God came down as he he was singing praise and God decided to take up the bass note and shook the jail. Let's talk about specific kinds of persecution. What will all these hardships look like according to Jesus? He said, you'll be insulted. You can't live in America today and call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ without enduring a barrage of insults from every angle. Whether you're watching TV, listening to radio, newscasts, both in print and in TV, movies all portray Christians as simple-minded, intolerant, spiteful bigots who want to force their narrow, backwards, and restrictive morality on the entire world. That is how we are viewed. And that's a mild way of saying what a lot of people are saying about Christians today. In fact, there's a whole industry out there that lives to dig up dirt on people. All on the chance to bring down somebody's reputation. We saw that this week. Everybody hear about the Fusion GPS story in the news? They found out that there's a company out there that was hired by one of the politicians to dig up dirt on the other people, and they were even using foreign intelligence sources to dig up dirt on one of our politicians, and that it was paid for and and bought, and they were using foreign powers to dig up dirt on our politicians to use against them during the election. 
So there's a whole industry out there that, that seeks to bring people down. And oftentimes they do it with lies. And it doesn't even have to be true anymore to be news. Fake news is an industry right now. People are getting paid for lying about other people in a public spotlight. Think just for a moment about all the false news stories you have heard or seen in the last year. And I ask you specifically, as representatives of the kingdom of God, be very, very careful what you believe or what you post on social media or talk about as fact. Because most things on social media are wrong. Just period are wrong. So I just encourage you to really research something before you post it to your Facebook status or Twitter or, Twi or um, Tumblr or anything else you have out there as fact unless you really resource it or research it because a lot of it is just junk. The prophet Isaiah spoke about the time we live in and what happens when wickedness is celebrated in our nation and as a culture. In Isaiah 59, 14, the prophet says, So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets, and honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. And I want to focus on that last part for a moment, and especially bring this to the forefront for anyone who has recently accepted Christ or rededicated their hearts to Jesus. There's a spiritual reality that we have to accept to understand why a lot of bad things seem to happen to us, especially after we commit, make a commitment to follow after Jesus. It seems like we just became a big dot and a big target on the devil's radar screen. And the devil sees that you are trying to follow after Jesus, so he sends persecution your way. And the reason for that is because the devil sees the thing in you he hates more than anything else. And that is the righteousness of Jesus shining through you, changing you, molding you, shaping you into a vessel of honor that God has called you to be. And Jesus shows the reason that those who follow him are hated by Satan and hated by the world. In the verses following the ones that we are studying today. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He continues in verse 14 when he says, You, you, every person here, you are the light of the world. A town built upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus shows us right here why the rest of fallen humanity despises and hates us. It's a fact that they have a sinful nature. You and I, we all have a sinful nature. Jesus said we're salt. What happens if you go home today and you're, you're, making, you're making supper tonight and you accidentally cut your hand and some salt gets in it? That's going to be a pretty painful experience, right? You're going to withdraw. You're going to want to run it under some water. You want to get that salt away from the wound as quickly as you can because it hurts, right? 
I'll tell you what, you never see a child move so fast and turn into an Olympic gymnast in the ER as when you're trying to, to clean their owie. The first time bacitracin or hibiclens or anything else hits that wound, they turn into this magic gymnast and they'll be bouncing off the wall, the ceiling, everything to get away from you and, and doing whatever they can to get away from that cleaning. And all of us do that. We all try to get away from the thing that is causing us pain, even though salt is actually very good for a wound. Up until they came out with Neosporin and Bacitracin, that's actually how they used to treat wounds, with salty water. Because it dries up and kills bacteria, and it helps the wound heal faster. And that's why Jesus calls you to be salt. Because you know what? Your righteousness is going to irritate the wounds of an unbeliever. And they're going to do anything they can in order to get away from you, up to and including persecution. Jesus says you are also the light, and the light on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus explains this a little bit more in John 3, verse 19. And I'm going to read it and put some commentary in it as I go. Jesus said, this is the verdict. A verdict means truth, or reality is seen through God's eyes. This is the reality that you, exist, that you um, have in your life right now. Light has come into the world. The light comes into the world first through Jesus and then through you who follow him. But people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Why do you think most crimes happen at night? Remember teenagers, when they go and park, want to make out a little bit? Do they do it in broad daylight, park in Quick Trips parking lot and do it in broad daylight? No, they find some road way out there in the middle of the darkness where nobody can see them. But what happens when they hear that on the window and that flashlight shine through their thing? They get a little bit freaked out, don't they? Because the light has shined into um, something they weren't supposed to be doing. And you refusing to participate in things that the world calls good, which are actually evil in God's sight, is like rubbing salt and shining light on those things around you. And I want you to remember that when you are facing persecution, because you are standing up for Jesus and his righteous word. I want you to remember this because it will help you to see the people who are trying to hurt you. It will help you to see them very differently. And to help you react, not in self-defense, not in, in justifying your own behavior and wanting to avoid, and wanting to avoid these people. You see, these people that, that, that treat you poorly and persecute you, they don't hate you. I want to make that very, very clear. They really don't hate you. No, no matter what they say, they don't hate you. They hate Jesus. They hate God. They hate righteousness. Some of them might even call themselves Christians. Some of them might even attend a church occasionally. But the reality is they hate Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate light and he is the purest salt and all he does is cause pain to them when, your light when his light shines through you. And they can't touch him. The devil can't touch Jesus. So, he comes at, so they come after you. This is another way of looking at it. The devil can't win a fight against Jesus. He can't. 
with the least thought, Jesus could blink Satan right out of existence. Jesus is, or Satan is not the yin to God's yang. He is not the opposite God of evil. He is a created being, slightly more powerful than you and I, but he really can just be blinked out of existence whenever God wants him to be. In fact, I don't know this. I kind of think about it in my head. And it, I just want to use this to illustrate how pitifully weak the evil one is compared to any member of the blessed Godhead, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. You know, in the end, Jesus doesn't even bother to go and touch Satan and bind him, but he sends an angel to do it. Think about that for a moment. I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I just imagine it in my head. It's just the way I guess my brain works. But I just imagine that, that God created one angel that is like the runt of the litter. He would be like the 90-pound weakling that would get the sand kicked in his face. I don't think angels get that, but just, just follow me with this illustration for a moment. I think, I think this angel is just being set aside for one specific task, and that is to be the weakest angel in all of creation. He will be the one that gets to grab Satan, throw a chain around him, and cast him into hell. I believe that, because it would just show exactly how weak Satan is in compared to the members of the Godhead. I want to close this morning with talking about the reward of righteousness. The reward of persecution and the reward of righteousness is the kingdom. And this kingdom has two parts. What is the earthly one that we're participating in right now? And I say this especially to those who have made their commitment official through um, coming into, the mem into membership today. This church is an embassy of the kingdom of God. And this church is your church. This is your church. We use it to worship Jesus. We use it to complete his mission. But it is your church. And some people would describe Cooley Community Church as Pastor John's church. And I say, no. I'm nobody. Look, I, I'm nothing special. I'm just an under-shepherd. This is your church. Its success and failure are completely up to you. I am not talented enough, big enough, popular enough, skilled enough, educated enough, whatever thing you want to put on me, I can't do it with just me. This is your church. And whether it's, it succeeds or fails, or fails is up to you. The second is a spiritual kingdom in heaven. There are rewards waiting for you that are based on how faithful you are to the kingdom here on earth. Do you know that you have an actual crown waiting for you? The Bible repeatedly says that there are crowns waiting for those who would be faithful to Jesus. And I would just implore you, live your life in such a way that nobody takes your crown. We are told that in Revelation. Live your life in such a way that nobody steals your crown. I close today with a brief story. Some of you may have heard of the name Reinhard Bonnke. If you, ha if you haven't, Reinhard Bonnke is one of the greatest evangelists of our lifetime. He told a story once about his calling to be God's evangelist to the continent, the continent of Africa. 
And he was wrestling with God. He was begging God, God, find somebody else. I'm, I'm comfortable here in Germany. I'm comfortable being a pastor. I, I don't want to go to Africa. That's crazy. We're going through jungle and desert and, and facing all that, that stuff. I don't want to do that. Find somebody else. There has to be somebody else out there, God, that, that is smarter, that is more eloquent, that is more talented, has better leadership ability. There has to be other people out there to do this. Why are you calling me? He heard God answer. He said, Reinhard, you're right, my son. There are other people more talented, more gifted, and much, much more able to do this than you. In fact, you are number eight on my list of people to call. The other seven refused. Reinhard said he bowed his heart in worship and he obeyed the calling. And the result? Over 75 million conversions in Africa. Whole nations and history were changed because of this man. And it wasn't easy. He faced intense persecution. Multiple attempts of assassination and, and attempts on his life and his family's life. They attempted to kidnap his family. All kinds of persecution that he had to endure. But he persevered. And I remember him saying, when he preached a message at Brownsville during the revival years in the 1990s, he said, after that encounter with God, I became determined that no one will steal my crown and no one will take anything that God has for me, my mission, or anything he wants to do through me. I will be obedient to whatever my father tells me to do. And for those of you who have served this church unselfishly for, year, for years and years and decades even, God thanks you. You have a rich reward waiting for you. For those who have just accepted membership today, God has something for you. And I would just implore you and encourage you to seek his face until you find out what that is. And finally, let's be willing to do whatever it takes to win as many as we can to the saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because my friends, the time is short. Amen.